so the question we're going to answer today is um, pretty straightforward. Who leads the church and how? Who leads the church and how? Okay, now we're not going to use a denomination answer because we're, not a de we're non-denominational. We're not going to use a corporate answer to that question because we're not a business, though we use business principles in, in how we lead. We are going to use the Bible. I know that sounds crazy, but we're going to do that because that's what we've been trying to do. And I'm not saying we have it down and, and don't have ways to improve. In fact, we have some areas to, to certainly be looking into um, as we try to do this better. But the real quick, I mean, if you've got to go, let me just give you a real short answer so that if you've got to go, at least you get the answer to the question of who leads the church, okay? And basically, there are two categories of leaders that lead a church according to the New Testament, okay? So that's the back third of your Bible. That's the most recent that is written. It's the most explicitly and most directly um, written to answer these questions, and it's written for the church. And that is pastors and deacons. Pastors and deacons, okay? If you've been around, you know that we, we believe that, that, well, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that there are several ways to say pastor in the New Testament. There's pastor, there's elder, there's overseer, bishop, shepherd. There's like all these different ways, okay? Reverend is not in the Bible. Please do not call me that, okay? All right? That's a cultural thing. But um, but all those mean pretty much the same thing, and I'll show you some of it, and I'll have to, if you, hopefully you're taking notes and you can check out some of these other references that I'll call out um, as well. Deacons, so, so the pastors and elders, you see, we're going to talk a lot about who they are and what they do, um, but they, they are the point of the spear by God's design, okay? And we talked a lot about it last week, so I won't go into a lot of depth about it today because of time. Qualified men are your pastor's elders, Again, according to the New Testament, best way we understand it. We could be wrong, but that's where, we, that's where we land. Deacons, the word means servant. Sometimes you'll hear church, I grew up in churches where they didn't call the, the pastor the pastor, they called him the minister. Okay, a minister means servant also, um, but it's very confusing because he was preaching. And so it wasn't confusing at the time. I didn't know better. Now I'm confused, but I'm not part of that denomination, so I don't have to worry about that. But minister, deacon, servant. Okay, now... And some, in a lot of churches, you have some that are paid and some that are not. We're not getting into that. It was true in the New Testament days, too. Some were paid and some were not, okay? Doesn't matter to what we're talking about today, other than the fact that you should not be serving for, out of greed, and that's one of the qualifications. Um, deacon's job, the deacon's job is to assist the pastors, and I mean pastors, plural, because a church should have multiple pastors and elders. That's the pattern we see in the New Testament. Not one, not a super pastor, not a CEO, a, a team of leaders that are leading as, as shepherding the flock. They assist in that effort. In other words, they take some of the responsibilities that they have off of them so that they are able to focus more intentionally on preaching of the word, teaching the word, um, and prayer. Those are the biggies. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, which I don't, I don't have time to show you there. But in chapters, verses 1 through 7, we see the, the um, precursor to the deacon and those seven, that are, those seven men that are chosen there. Um, it is less clear in the scriptures whether or not deacons should be men only or can be women. Okay, And I'll address that when I get to that part in the passage. Okay, Because we are, we are not a typical church in how we handle that, and we're still 
you know, we're always learning and trying to understand Scripture. We want to get better at obeying this, not set in our ways, okay? All right, so with that, let's jump into the passage. And I'm going to do it, um, I'm going to use the tablet today so that I can um, underline some things just to make the point clear. But our series is, am I mirroring? I should be mirroring now. There we go. Okay, so our series is... um, First Timothy, and it's called Guard the, the Treasure. The treasure is referring to the gospel. Okay? So I'm going to go to First Timothy 3. That's where I'm going to start. And let's just start with the first seven verses here. Um, and, and it cut off the top, so I'll just have to drag it down. I don't know why. All right, so here we go. Here's a trustworthy saying. He also said, Paul is writing to Timothy. Okay, so if you haven't been around, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to uh, his son in the ministry, Timothy. And when I say son, he's not actually his son, but he is so close to Paul, he feels like a son. Okay. But he's also like a a right-hand man in that he is younger, but he is doing a lot of Paul's bidding because he wants to, he wants to serve the church. So he's kind of like a, an associate apostle. And, 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 but in this sense, in this period of time in his life, he's actually being asked to pastor the church at Ephesus. And if you remember, Ephesus is one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. It's like a quarter of a million people, probably the second or third largest in the whole Roman Empire. And um, there was a big church there, okay? And when we say church in a city, like in Ephesus, okay, the book of Ephesians is written to that church by Paul. We're not talking about one big church with everybody under one roof. We're talking about a network of churches that are unified, I know that sounds strange, right? Churches unified on the same team. What? Don't we compete? Not at all. At least we shouldn't. And, uh, and so that's the way it worked. And I don't mean to make it sound like they were all happy and getting along all the time because they weren't. They were dysfunctional because they were human, just like us. All right. So um, um, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy because he can't be there in Ephesus to help set things right that are messed up. Okay. And so I'm sorry, I can't see y'all. So I'm going to move this back because if I can't see you, all right, and so, um, so Paul sends Timothy t- in his steed so that uh, Timothy can take care of it. And Timothy's like, oh, great. I'm young, I'm inexperienced, and I'm still learning the Bible. But I'll go pastor a church for Paul while he's gone. No problem. But that's, so he writes this letter to Timothy to say, let me give you some things I've already taught you, things we've already talked about, but I'm going to write it down so that you can kind of make sure that you're, you're getting the priorities right. And, of course, it becomes Scripture because God inspires it. So he starts off with saying, here's a trustworthy statement or trustworthy saying, which he also does in chapter 1, verse 15. And this is Paul's way of kind of making a proverbial statement. He's saying something that's so wise that we ought to just remember it and and land on it. And this is what he says. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Okay? Let me circle the overseer, all right? Now, um, I'm, I'm going to write it down even though I've already said it. Pastors, elders, overseers, all the same. Okay? And you're going to see that pop up why, how the, the writers of the scriptures are interchanging them. Okay? And in fact, I'm going to give you an example right now. So if you hold your your place in 1 Timothy and go to 1 Peter, which we preached not long ago, you will probably remember this. Peter writes in chapter 5, he says, to the elders among you. So he's writing, he's speaking in his letter to the church in the same region that Ephesus is in, by the way. 
he says, now after he's written four chapters to all the other Christians, he goes, now you elders, to the elders specifically among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. And then he tells them, this is what I'm appealing to you to do. This is what I want you to do. Be shepherds of God's flock. That's the church. That's imagery for sheep. And God uses that imagery a lot to say those who lead the church are shepherds and those who are in the church are sheep, but we're all sheep because he's the great shepherd, okay? Be shepherds under God's flock. What do shepherds do? They lead, they feed, and they protect their flock, okay? If you want to use Psalm 23 as a reminder, they lead them to still waters to get fresh, clean water, okay? They, they feed them in green pastures, and they protect them from wolves and injury and from wandering and doing the dumb things that sheep tend to do. Okay, so that's be shepherd, shepherd. And Latin for shepherd is pastor. Okay, so that's kind of where that comes from. Okay, so be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. You're responsible. So I'm responsible at some level for all of you. And I will stand before God and answer for how well I handled that responsibility. So all of the elders will. On a different level, all of our deacon teams will. On another level, all of our other leaders that aren't elected but are, are in, in leadership will answer. And then parents, you'll, you will stand there a little longer than our kids if we get there before they get married and, and so on. Watch this. So under your care, watching over them, that's what an overseer does. Overseer watches over the flock. So overseer points to the function Pastor points to the function. Elder kind of reaches back to the Old Testament, the way the Jews would, would um, organize around elders, and usually those who would lead the clan, lead the tribe, lead the, the synagogues, the temple. They were the elder, the, not the old necessarily, but the older, more mature, because not just experience and gray hair, but also experience in the scriptures. So by and large, that's a good rule of thumb. Just because you have gray hair doesn't mean you're mature. Sorry, just sharing what's true here. But not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Again, he's giving us some qualifications here. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Being examples is a big part. If I was to add one here, it would be to model. But shepherds don't model to sheep. That's where the analogy breaks down. Okay, but elders do model to the flock. Okay, so back to uh, our passage today. So here's the trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer is, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is above reproach. This is kind of a summary statement, and then he's going to follow with lots of details. But to be above reproach, some translations say blameless, without blame. That means if somebody were to follow you around and observe how you live, they would have a hard time finding anything evil, wicked, negative to blame you for, okay? It doesn't mean you're perfect, okay? But, um, you know, because we can sin without it showing, right? We sin here, we can sin here, and then we sin with our actions, okay? Well, the first thing we tend to deal with is our actions, okay? So that's good, we're backing up, but I can look good on the outside and I can still sin here. I can look at a picture in lust or person, right? That's that's a, a sin in, in my mind. So this is why Paul writes in other places, take every thought captive to Christ so that you'll stop your sin giving into your temptation sooner. But I digress. Okay, so be above reproach. That's a summary statement. Now, what does that look like in, in specifics, okay? So the first thing here was to be faithful to his wife. What does that mean? 
it means he's faithful to his wife. I mean, let's just hear it in the straightforward language in which it's written. It's a one-woman man, okay? We're not marrying multiple people. I don't think we have that problem unless we're in Utah, but, you know, it's spreading. Um, But that's not really the focus either. And um, there's lots of nitty-gritty we could get into as far as, well, is that one at a time? Can you remarry? What about widows? What about divorce? And all of those things. And there are questions there that have to be answered. My short answer to that is, I, I don't think there's a blanket on all those. And so I say it's a case by case. And I think the elders make that call. Okay? But I think that it's possible that all those scenarios, those people could be elders. Remember, Paul is guilty of association with murder. And yet he's an apostle. So I'm not going to make it harder when maybe there's a situation that could be, I could see where maybe this one would be okay. So faithful to his wife means that he's a one-woman man and, and he serves her and he sanctifies her and he submits. There is a submitting, a mutual submission that happens in Ephesians 5.21 before he says, wives, submit to your husbands. So there is sometimes I submit to Anita and her ideas or her thoughts or her words. She's not in here, so you can't really make sure I said that right. But you know right? You know her well enough to know. And um, I do that willingly and gladly most of the time, sometimes not with a great attitude, right? But because she's right, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go there. And, and so we, we work through that together, okay? But guys, if you just look at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21, go through the end of the chapter, and you look at our responsibility for how we're to be faithful to her, the bar is sky high and there's no way it could be any higher because we're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. Okay, so, you know, anything short of dying for your wife, you're not being faithful. Okay, so you get the idea. All right, well, if you're going to die for her, then you'd be willing to live for her, but not for her above Christ. Okay, you're right? You with me? Nod your head and pretend you are. Okay, good. All right, temperate and self-control and respectable kind of go together. So I'm going to lump these as kind of um, um, self-care, self-management. Temperate is kind of like you're able to keep your cool even when you're tempted not to keep your cool. Okay, it's kind of a, a moderation, and it, and it applies to a whole host of areas from drinking to how you speak to people. Self-controlled sounds very straightforward. It's self-control would be like self-disciplined or just a person who is disciplined and doesn't give in to their impulses all the time or freely without restraint. Okay, respectable is, again, it's kind of a, a lot of these are characteristics that and qualities that you can view from the outside. Okay, and that's what we're looking at. How do you... Do people respect you because they believe that the way that you live and act is respectable? And um, sometimes people don't treat us that way because they're, they're, they have issues, but let's not give them any ammunition and any reasons not to respect, right? Uh, we're, we're walking through these 10-ish qualifications to say this. The number one priority in choosing your leaders, and this is any leader, but specifically here, pastors, elders, overseers, is their character, okay? So let me take another detour and take you to a sketch. Some of you have seen me talk about this before. This is, I call it the the matrix, not the uh, Neo matrix, but uh, a different matrix, and I didn't come up with this. But the idea here is if we think about where we are in our walk with Christ, okay? So part of the reason we're looking at this is leadership. But really, we're all leaders at some level. You're leading your family, you're leading people in your, in, your, in your extended family, 
You're leading friends, you're leading friends' kids. We're all leading people. So hopefully we're all yearning to be qualified to be a good leader, whether we're going to ever be one in a church or not. Okay, And so when we think about that, we think, well, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then how am I doing? How do I know when I'm being a good disciple of Jesus? And the answer is when you're moving closer to Christ in character and competency. Okay, Character and competency is another way for saying skill. Okay, and, and the way I would say it is like this. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to do like Jesus. Okay, character and competency. Now, the, the scriptures we're looking at today are heavily focused on the character piece because you can learn skills. You can get better at skills. But then there's also that whole mix of God gives us spiritual gifts, and that's part of that cocktail of um, what am I going to do with my life? What are the skills and, and abilities and um, uh, spiritual gifts that God has given me, how am I going to use those for the benefit of the kingdom to build up the body of Christ? All those are factors. So you and I are thinking, okay, so how am I doing? Where am I on this chart? If I were to chart myself as high character but low on competence, let's say I'm right there, that would mean that, would mean that I am limited in my fruitfulness as a Christ follower. Uh, that's good. High character is good, and I'm growing in Christ, okay? We're not, we never arrive, okay, until he takes us home, but we're moving in that direction. Hopefully, we're moving up and to the right. That's the direction we want to move, okay? Um, I should have done the bottom left first. If we are low character, low competency, we're just, we're just irrelevant, okay? So we're not going to talk about that because we're not that. Okay, now, if we're high competency but low character, that means I can get things done. I can get people to do stuff. But my character, yeah, you know, it might look okay on the outside, but on the inside, that makes you dangerous, okay? We could probably think about that in a political lens, but we won't go there today. But you see what I'm saying, right? So I don't want to be dangerous, and I don't want to be limited. I want to be what God intended for me to be, which is fruitful, okay? That means I'm bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It means I'm I am, produ- I am being who God created to me, me to be. So if I'm an apple tree, work with me here, if I'm an apple tree, the fruit I'm going to bear are apples. That's right. So if I'm a person, then the fruit I'm going to bear in Christ is going to be Christ-like fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And that's what I want. And this is, so this is the bullseye. Okay? Fruitfulness. Okay? So you'll hear us talk about what's the bullseye for discipleship. That's it. I want to be moving up and to the right. For you, it's up and to the right okay, towards fruitfulness, okay? Now, I say that because the bulk of this passage in 1 Timothy is very much character-based because you, character is not something you can teach. Well, you can teach. Obviously, we're teaching it about right now, but the person really has to decide, it. am I going to be a person of character or not? All right, so um, the, one, the next one on our list here is hospitable, okay? And... Um, we're talking about guys here and hospitable, and you're like, oh, I don't get it, because those two don't usually go together. Guys are not usually real hospitable. Well, I think it depends on the guy. And it also depends on how you're defining hospital, hospitable or uh, hospitality, okay? Um, I bet Mark, who works in a restaurant and the hospitality industry, is really good at it, okay? And one of the things that Mark spends a lot of time doing is dealing with customers he's never met. He is welcoming strangers, Okay. Now, I've been in a restaurant when he's been there once, and he was very hospitable with us, but he knew us. It was easier for him to give us the free appetizer. Thank you very much, by the way. Right? So, you know, that's, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm all for that. But what Scripture is teaching the word hospitality is about strangers, welcoming the strangers. When our church welcomed this, 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 the family from Afghanistan, 
we were being, we, we called ourselves a circle of welcome because we were a circle of partners, our church, Lutheran services, and others who were working together to welcome them to the United States so they could become healthy, um, functioning, independent American citizens. Okay, and I think we did a really good job of that. I think you guys were awesome in how you did that. And they are blessed and they are independently good, healthy, functioning citizens of America. Okay? Um, hospitality is potent ministry. Okay? An elder, overseer, pastor needs to be willing to welcome strangers into their home, needs to be welcome, uh, willing to have meals with them, and so on. Able to teach. This one is huge because this is one of the few that's not character. Okay? Um, you, generally speaking, want the person that's standing up here that's teaching to do a, a functional job. You want them to be effective at it. We're not talking about math. Don't ask me to teach math. Don't say anything, Tad. I don't, teach, I don't want to teach you how to do English lit, all right? I'm, I'm going to teach you the Word of God and how I, I hope we are going to apply it to our lives, okay? And, and your elders and your pastors that you are choosing to lead your church need to be able to do that. It is a qualification. If they cannot do that, then they shouldn't be doing that, okay? Now, that doesn't mean in some cases that they don't have the gift. Maybe they have the gift, but it's not been uh, matured. It hasn't been honed. I went to seminary. You don't have to go to seminary to, to be a pastor and an elder, okay? I did get a lot of good training on how to teach and preach there, okay? So that helped me prepare. But um, the key is, are, do you have a gift, and are you um, honing that gift and getting better? I guarantee, I've been here 17 years. I guarantee you, those of you who have been here longer than five years, probably longer than five years, go, yep, he's definitely been working at it because he was bad, okay? I mean, I'm just saying, uh, right? So you want them to be able to teach and you want them to keep getting better at it, okay? Not, now we get into a bunch of negatives. Not given to drunkenness. I hope that's pretty straightforward, okay? It doesn't say don't drink, but it does not give into drunkenness. Why? Because alcohol takes, it takes your judgment and squashes it and you, you stop making good decisions, okay? So really anything that you're doing in excess that squashes your judgment would be off the table. Because why do we, we want to be led by the spirit of God, not the spirits of the tavern. See what I'm saying? Okay, so that includes drugs, that includes Mary Joanna, you know, whatever it is that you're indulging in because it feels good, it's going to rob you of your judgment and that's a problem, okay, whether it's legal or not. Okay, not violent but gentle. I hope that's pretty straightforward, okay? Ask yourself the question, if you're thinking, I, I, I want to be, you know, it says up here at the top, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, they desire a noble task. Paul is saying, it's a good thing if you want to be a pastor or an elder. Okay, so, but then you gotta check your motives, right? Why do you want to be on the platform so everybody can see you and pat you on the back and all the good things we see on there? I promise you, there's some others, all right? But, um, you know, where, how are you at home? How do you speak to your wife when you're angry? How do you treat your kids when they don't do what you told them to do the third time? Right? So all of these things he's, he's going to get, he's going to drill down on that big time here in a minute. But basically he's saying that the way we carry ourselves is it, it makes all the difference whether or not we're qualified. Okay? So not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, that's argumentative, but it's more than just being willing to argue. Some of you all like to argue because it's like a sport. I mean, you're like gold medal arguer. Um, you know, we're not, you know, and, and some of you do it and it's all fun and games and it, or you're a debater. You like to debate um, things. That's, those are, that's fine. But I'm talking about when you're being divisive and argumentative for the sake of being divisive and, 
And sometimes those lines blur, okay? He's saying be careful about that because that, that undermines unity, which is hugely important in the church. Not a lover of money. This is simply greed, okay? If you want to know how greedy you are, and, and um, I'm probably willing to say probably 99% of us are greedy, this is how you know whether you're greedy. Are you generous? Because the antidote to greed is generosity. That's another sermon for another time. All right, not a lover of money. He must, this is really big, he and, and this is one of the reasons why, by the way, one of the reasons why we say pastors and elders should be male, qualified males. He, and then where's the wife? Faithful to his wife, okay? Um, if you want to know more about that, again, last week's message, we drilled down on that pretty hard. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect, okay? So your kids may obey you because they are fear for their lives, because you beat them into oblivion. That's not full of respect, okay? So how you do these things matter. But if you can't handle home life with your family, it's not orderly, it's not um, your kids aren't working with you, your wife and you aren't on the same page, you, the last thing you need to be doing is trying to lead someone else in how to do it, okay? And, and I can't overemphasize this. And it's going to come up again in the deacons. So, I mean, clearly it's important to Paul. If anyone, and then he makes this argument, or this asks this question, which to me kind of sews it up. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? <laughs> Rhetorical question. The answer is no, he can't. Now, this is, this is good because when you're trying to decide who your leaders are, you can kind of get some insight into this because, look, we, let's face it. Let's be honest, right? We all come to church kind of like we're going on a date. Put on our best face, we clean up, we dress up, well, you know what I mean, and we come presenting ourselves as we want to be presented because we can pull off anything for a couple hours. Right? And so if you're struggling with your kids and your spouse at church, you better believe it's happening at home. See what I'm saying? And now, we all have bad days. Like, my kids have you know, laid on the floor and rolled in the aisle of the grocery store too. We all have experienced those moments that terrify, mortify us, and we think, please don't judge me on, my, on this moment right now. I'm really not this bad a parent, right? Those things happen, and sometimes they happen in church because everybody else is comfortable here, all right? So when you're making your judgment, show lots of grace and mercy. At the same time, take note. If it's a pattern, okay, that's not a good sign. Right? And we're making decisions based on what we're observing. Okay? So I'm not telling you to get, get, get on your game so that you don't ever mess up when you come in here. I'm not saying that. Okay? I, don't, I hate the masks. Let's, let's, I, one of the things I love about you all is you don't do that as bad as some places I've been. You guys are pretty willing to be who you are in the flesh. And I love that about it. I, I think that's part of why people come back is they, they sense that. But we all do are tempted to do that from time to time, especially when things aren't going well, right? How many times, do not raise your hand. How many times, please don't raise your hand. How many times have we driven to church and we've had chaos in the car between parents and kids between leaving the house and getting here? It's like, it couldn't get any worse than right before we pull in the parking lot. In fact, some of you have probably driven through the parking lot and just said, we're just going somewhere else, right? I have been the parent and I have been the kid in the back seat, okay? It's like, oh, I'm so glad he can't reach me right now, right? Okay, it happens, all right? But what is the pattern? All right, um, uh, moving along. He must not be a recent convert, okay? Not a new believer. And, the, and he, then he just gives us the reason right here. Or he may be conceited, 
That's pride. That's what caused Lucifer to fall into becoming who he is, the devil. Fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace or into the devil's trap. So your reputation with outsiders is also in view, not just insiders. And obviously, we're not always going to see each other in those situations, right? Because we don't go to work with you and we don't go to the other places. But, um, you know, it is worth noting. Now, we're going to shift here. In the same way, deacons, okay? And I'm going to have to circle it and then pull it down, okay? There we go. In the same way, deacons, all right? Remember, deacon means servant, and they assist pastors and elders in the work that they're doing. Deacons are to be worthy of respect. Sound familiar? We just heard it from above, or above in the passage. Sincere, okay? This means genuine, authentic, right? No pretense, all right? I grew up in churches full of pretense, right? I know it's hard to believe, but I went to church wearing a coat and tie every single Sunday, okay? And really, it was the only thing about church I didn't like, that and the pretense. Everybody was pretending. Makes me, I just, and I didn't even realize it was a thing. It took me forever to understand that there was a word for that, but that's what I observed, Okay? And, um, you know, it's not sincere. Not indulging in much wine. There's the drunkenness again. Not pursuing dishonest gain. There's greed again. They must keep hold. This is really important. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Okay? Now, they don't have to be able to teach. Deacons don't have to be able to teach. But we're all called to teach. Parents, right? We're teaching our kids how to tie their shoes, how to balance the checkbook. I'm sorry, they don't know what those are. How to change the oil in the car, how to put an upcap back on, how to take care of your kids when mom and dad are out without killing each other. You know, we teach them stuff, right? And you teach them how to follow Jesus. You know, the number one way to do that is you follow Jesus like you want them to, okay? I was reading um, this past week about missionary kids. You know, you've heard of PKs, preacher kids, right? missionary kids, right? Same challenge. And it was, this, this missionary was talking about how they have spent time talking to missionary kids who are at odds with their parents. And he said the pattern that they observed in those situations were that the, what the parents did in public was different than what the parents did in private. The way they spoke in public was different than the way they speak in private. Kids pick up on that like it is obvious to them you're being different, okay? It's called pretense. I could say hypocrisy, okay? And, and this is part of the reason why preacher kids get a bad rap. Sometimes they get a bad rap that's undeserved, okay? But they have the same, we have the same challenges, right? Because we're always talking publicly about what we believe about God's word. Well, imagine now we go home and we live contrary to that. And then the kid calls you out and you go, Submit, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I just know that I haven't perfectly done it well, um, but by God's grace, Anita and I have done a pretty good job of that, and none of our kids are in jail. So there you go. Awesome. They must be first tested, okay? So well, uh, deep truths, you don't have to be able to teach it, but you need to know it. You need to know it. This needs to be like in your heart, in your mind regularly. Now, that's true for all of us, is it not? I'm not asking deacons to do something that we're not asking everybody else to do, not asking you to do something that elders aren't already doing, except the able to teach piece. You don't have to teach. You don't have to stand on a platform. You don't have to lead a group. But a lot of deacons would do a really good service by doing that, okay? Um, 
but you need to do it with a clear conscience. And I think that speaks to being the same person in public and in private, that consistency, okay? Uh, they must first be tested. Um, that's just a way of saying, um, don't choose a leader you haven't really observed for very long. And if somebody's new to your church, they probably shouldn't be in the running for an office of leadership, even if they've done it at the last three churches, because we've been to those other churches, right? Can I get an amen on that, right? We've been to those. We don't want those elders and deacons. Thank you very much. And if you have been one at another church, I'm not talking to you, of course. All right. And then if there's nothing against them, that's a big if, let them serve as deacons, okay? And then the passage takes this turn that we don't quite know what to do with. In the same way, okay? Well, he's already said in the same way. So we're on a roll here. Paul's on a roll, it seems like. The women. Now, some translations say, their wives, or probably wife would be better. What, is, what, is, what are your translations? Anybody say wife or wives? Wives. It doesn't mean he's married to more than one wife, okay? It means deacons and wives, right? Okay, I just want to be clear. No polygamy here. Yay. All right. In the same way, they, the women or their wives. Okay, so I've, I've done a lot of reading about this over the years, and I've got it nailed down to, I don't know, Okay. I promise you there are good, godly arguments on both sides of this one, okay? Now, back in 2009, I got here in 06. We got here in 06. Um, we didn't have deacons. Um, the church started in 99. So I was here in 06. I'm the first full-time guy, so I'm working with the elders. And by 09, I finally am figuring out which end is up and I'm, which way the bathrooms are and how to pastor a little bit. And I'm going, shouldn't we have deacons? And they're like, yeah, we should have deacons. Okay, so all right, let's figure that out. So are we going to do it like all of us are used to? And, and all the elders at that time were all recovering Southern Baptists. And I love my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters, okay? I can say that because I love them. That's my tribe. I was trained by a Southern Baptist seminary. I did not grow up in a Southern Baptist church. I'm a recovering United Methodist too, okay? Um, but I, so I grew up in churches and all of the churches I had had deacons and they were men only, Okay. So that was my comfort zone, and that was all the other men's comfort zones. But remember how this church started. We want to open the Bible, and we want to do what we see it saying to do. When it's clear, we do it. When we're not clear, we pray. <laughs> and delay. Pray and delay. I don't know. Uh, and we did that for sure. So they got to, we got to this, and we're like, okay, I could read this either way. And even if you don't change, even if you say they're wives, I could still, the case can be made very easily that women can be deacons, I believe, okay? And, and there are plenty of good Bible-teaching, Bible-believing people that disagree with me on this. So this is, this is Darren speaking, okay? I'm not even speaking for the other elders yet. Um, I can read it either way. It could only be, it would be deacons could only be men and, and deacons can be women, okay? This is where we landed in 09, and I actually really love it still, but I'm not convinced it's still for sure exactly right. We have deacon teams, and what that means is when you elect a deacon, you also elect his wife, so the deacon are, are men, but, but it's a package deal, and, and she is part of that team because the job requires the team, Right? We're not sending men in to counsel women about why they shouldn't get an abortion, okay? Not that that can't happen, but my goodness, that poor girl, right? She needs a woman's voice speaking into her life, okay? And there's a host of issues like that, right? Sometimes the man doesn't even need to be there, right? So I, I think what we're saying here is, um, what, what I'm going to say in short is 
we are going to, for now, we're having, we're in the midst of a deacon process, and so we're going to continue to honor that process where um, if we have a woman as a part of a deacon team, that's good, but we don't have single women being deacons, we're not there yet. And we may never get there, but we're going to spend the next year, the elders and I are going to spend the next year looking into scripture, reading about it in other sources, and trying to decide, have we hit the sweet spot, or have we, do we need to go further? I don't think we need to go backwards. I think we're, we're as we're as far away from women being deacons as we're going to get. Can I say it that way? Does that make sense? Okay. I don't like to use conservative and liberal and that kind of stuff because it, it carries so much baggage. All right. I am, I am dragging my feet too much here. This is, a, this is so important. Okay. So in the same way, and then he gets into the characteristics of these ladies, whether they're deaconesses, deacon wise, or deacon wise, whatever, they have qualities too. Okay. What I don't know is if it's on top of the ones above, I would like to think so but it's certainly for them, okay? And one of them is are worthy of respect. We've already seen that, so he's repeating it as if the, all the others up above don't apply because I don't think they need to be faithful to their wives, right? So uh, probably in addition to or, or instead of. Not malicious talkers. That sounds like gossipers, okay? For some reason, Paul seems to think that women are more likely to do that than men because he didn't call out the men to do that. I'm just calling it like I see it, malicious talkers, but temperate, that's like we saw that above, and trustworthy in everything. Okay, that's it. Okay, that's a hard list. Okay, but every lady, every woman, every girl in our church should be aiming for this. Okay, just like the guys should be aiming for all the things we've already, and guys, notice your list is pretty long. Okay, now it goes back to deacon, all right, which is, I'm, Paul, you're driving me nuts here. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. Again, it doesn't say to her, be faithful to your husband. So maybe she's not married to the deacon. You see what I'm saying? It, it, this, is, this is hard. Faithful to his wife and must manage his children in his household well. We've already covered that. And, those who, and then he says two things. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance. Those are like prizes, okay? Blessings, okay? Now, we are uh, um, probably out of time, but I want to do one more little, nope, I don't think I need to. All right, we're going to stop there. Let me, let me wrap up. Okay, so, so who leads the church and how? Who leads the church? Pastors and deacons. And in our case, we, we call our pastors elders and our elders pastors, okay? We have five. Two are paid. Ken and I are full-time. Three are not paid, and they work anyway, okay? They have real jobs, okay? We have seven Yes, that's seven deacon teams, husband and wife in every situation. We have had single men before. We've never had single women. We're not there yet, if ever, okay? Um, they are all, none of them are paid. In some churches, deacons are paid. I know, right? You go find that church, deacons. I don't blame you for, look, yes, come on. This, the pay's got to be better than this, right? This is when you know you let your deacons are awesome. They're working for free, right? Okay, so when we talk about the elected leaders of our church, that's who we're talking about. Okay, that's about 25 people. Actually, it's about, let's see, it's 14, and it's about 20 people, okay? The reason I said 25 is because there are times when we pull in the wives of, our, of, of the elders into the conversation, even though they're not elected, because they are a package deal, right? You get me, you get Anita, and it was like, yes, okay? Because Anita's the win, and I'm, you know, packaged part of it. Okay, so... Um, so uh, who leads the church? That's the point of the spear, is those, those together, 
all right? We have other leaders in our church too, okay? Um, there's some sitting back there. There's some down the hall right now. There's some walking the parking lot. We have lots of godly, good, Christ-like people that meet these qualifications, not because we took them through that and asked them, but because we've observed their behavior and we see them doing good things. And so we said, will you help lead in this area? And they've said yes, okay? And there's probably another 25 in that category. So about 50 leaders that are really making this church what it is. Okay, so if, if you're not one of those yet, then um, just recognize that whatever blessing you're receiving here is because of what God's doing through those folks, okay? I get to stand here longer than anybody else, so I get more of the pass on the back, but they're the ones that make that happen. Right? How we do this is we do this united in Christ. We try to stay united around the things that matter most, knowing that we're gonna, we're gonna have different opinions on a lot of other things that are secondary at best, okay? The better we do that, the better we're going to do what God has called us to do as a church, which is to reach the people that aren't in here today that are out playing pickleball. And man, I want to learn how to play pickleball, but not on Sunday morning, okay? You see what I'm saying? And, and they're, because they don't know what they're missing out on. I wouldn't change this for pickleball, okay, or anything else. Because this is the one time a week where I get to encourage you and be encouraged by you to go back out into that world that's so broken and messed up and makes you want to pull your hair out, right? And God loves those people just as much as he loves us, and he died, Christ died for them just like he died for us, and we are the team that the mission has, right? I've heard it said that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. God's mission has you and I, and it's only going to be carried out to the extent that you and I are willing to get involved. Otherwise, we miss out, okay? How we do it, we've talked about, but most of that is choosing your leaders well. So in April, in April, we will ch you will choose your deacon teams, okay? And there will be, I don't remember how many names are on the ballot. Some of the names on the ballot are going to be people who've never served as a deacon in our church before. Some of them will have. Anybody less than 18 months since they were elected will not be on the ballot. They get to stay on. Okay? I just want you to know, and I just think this is awesome, every deacon team that had the chance to, to say, we're going to rotate off, none of them chose to. I think that's awesome. I think that says a lot about them, their willingness to serve. It also says a lot about you because it says you don't make it painful. Well, maybe not as painful as it could be, right? Why? because you guys are, are trying to do the same thing. And so I, I love that we're part of a church where people actually want to serve, and in some cases, shoulder responsibility to help us do the mission he's called us to do. So if you know people that are leading in some area, give them a hug, and you don't have to have a bumper sticker to give your leader a hug, right? And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about all those people that help make things like today happen. They make your home group happen. Some of them are hosting your groups. They're out in the streets um, witnessing to people. They're praying, all these things. Folks, this is what we are. The church is us. It's the people. It's not the building. It's not the event, okay? We are the church 24-7, and the reason it works is because we get somewhere close to, I keep pointing to that, we get somewhere close to what God has laid out for us to do, okay? Tonight, we are going to pray over our elders and our deacons as part of our time together, okay, when we pray. It's going to be part of it because we never really did that when we elected them because we elect them on Sunday morning and then on Sunday night at the fellowship meeting, we announce it, and I, we probably do say a prayer, but we don't, we don't do the, 
ordination line and, and ordination sermon. We don't do that. But um, so I just thought, you know, we probably ought to pray for them, you know, right? So come and help us pray for our elders and deacons. Maybe you can even meet them. And if you're not a member, come meet and find out um, some of the awesome people that are make up Grace Christian Fellowship, okay? If you don't know Christ, I hope that you have heard how this re relates to you, okay? Because we do all of this because we believe this is the way to true life. Okay? The narrow way of following Jesus is the way to true life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And all of that we do is about making that message clear to people, making it clear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, okay? which is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. You take a crust of bread and a cup of grape juice, just little symbols of what Christ did on the cross for us, where he died, he suffered, and then he died. He suffered for hours, and then he hung on a cross for hours, six hours, nailed to a Roman cross, hanging by those things, trying to breathe, and then he died, he spilt his blood, literally, and he did that so that we could live for him, okay? And our life to follow Christ is to make people aware of how they can follow Christ too. That's the narrow way. And that's the way that is largely forgotten by the church today, okay? I think one of the reasons why people keep coming back here is simply because we're highlighting that. Not because we're great at anything, but because we keep saying the main thing, you know, there is a main thing, and that's it. The narrow way of leading people to follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ is our mantra. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so in over our heads, trying to do what you call us to do. We need you. We, we repent when we have not, we repent that we have not followed you faithfully. I think I can, if that's, if that's your prayer, amen that to yourself, Lord. I just pray that you would, I know I have not been as faithful to you as you call me to be. And I'm just talking about today. And so Lord, I thank you that the blood of Christ covers my sins. And though I don't deserve it, and though I will probably fail again before the day is out, your grace is sufficient for me and my weakness. And so I want people to know that good news, and I want people in the room that haven't received Christ to pray and receive Christ today. People online, people in, in the room. I just pray right now that they would pray to you and ask you, Lord, to forgive them for their sins, Lord, forgive us for our sins, to save us from our sins. Save us, Lord God, from sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself, into a family of followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help them understand that when we make that kind of surrendered act, that you work in us, you, you show up, you pitch your tent in our hearts, and you say, I'm here until I finish making you like me. And my prayer is that we would take that seriously and we would put forth the effort that it takes to actually do that. We can't earn anything with our effort. Our effort just makes it possible that we might work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you who work in us to will and to act according to your good measure, your good will. So I pray you'll help folks do that and then give them the courage to share that with someone else today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.